Welcome into College Golf Talk, the conclusion of 2020 in what has been a very uh, uncertain year, unsettling year. Steve Burkowski, Brentley Romine with you to sort of put a wrap on the fall and look ahead to what 2021 could present to college golf on the men's and women's side. But uh, Brentley, always good to catch up. How are you, my friend? Haven't seen you since Atlanta. <laughs> I'm doing all right, Burko. Uh, you know, it's hard to believe we're halfway home this season. It doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it does not. And uh, the good news is some teams, some conferences played college golf, and I alluded to Atlanta. Let's go back a couple of weeks to the East Lake Cup. Uh, we were thrilled to be able to broadcast that. Your reactions, your uh, thoughts from what we saw uh, a few weeks ago. Well, Pepperdine finished last season ranked number one, and I think they came out this fall and Obviously, that second place finish at Merido was was pretty impressive, even though they didn't win. But then they come out and uh, beat Oklahoma in the final at Eastlake. And I think they're probably going to head into the spring as the number one team. And the most noticeable thing about that victory is it comes with William Mao arguably playing like a, their number three or four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. He, I, I think he won a match. Didn't he go into? He did and struggled on, in stroke play. I believe he hit it in the water on 15 the last few holes. And and not to jump in, but I say awful because I think we both consider him one of the best 10 players in the country. So to win yeah. with him struggling is a great sign. Awful by his lofty standards. I mean, he, yeah. he was a guy that uh, should have won the Phil Mickelson Award or, you know, arguably could have won the Phil Mickelson Award. Obviously, Ricky Castillo had a great freshman year as well. But, yeah, I mean, this is a kid who – a lot of people thought was going to come out and be a Haskins Award, Nicholas Award contender. And he hasn't looked like it. He didn't play their last fall event either. So, um, but I mean, I, I'm not worried about William Mao. I mean, he's he's got the game. He's got the talent. He played well this summer, made match play at the USAM. So it doesn't take much. I think I say this all the time. It doesn't take much for great players to turn it around. Um, and I think he'll do that. And when he does, Pepperdine is going to be even tougher. Yeah, I think that was a, a statement win talking to their head coach, Michael Beard, throughout the week. Um, his first sit-down meeting with that squad uh, in September was, last year didn't happen. Let's get over the disappointment. Let's put that behind us. Sahith Fagala is gone. He's turned professional. And let's talk about it. Let's vent and let's move on. Let's look ahead and let's not look back. And he told me, point blank, they came in with a chip on their shoulder. You know, everyone's thinking, oh, that was a nice run for Pepperdine. They weren't able to pay it off. Oh, well, let me tell you, they were on a mission. They were on a mission in front of TV cameras to be nationally exposed on Golf Channel. And they stepped up. You've got nine of 10 kids back from a year ago. You talked about it. They were number one in the country. They're good. They're really good. Maybe not a lot of flash, not a lot of sizzle. But that's all right. When you look at their scores virtually each and every time out, my two cents, they validated what they did a season ago. Is it kind of funny that the guy on their team this season that has two individual wins, Josh McCarthy, has, hasn't been in the lineup for half the fall? I mean, it, it, it seems like we talk about this with Pepperdine for the last couple of years. It, they, can, they can bring it from, from anywhere, you know, from the top spot in the lineup to the 10th spot in the lineup. And I just think that's kind of funny that, you know, their their guy with with two wins is uh, is one that hasn't been in in the lineup the whole time. 
Yeah, that's a great problem to have for uh, for Pepperdine heading into the spring. And then on the women's side, another statement victory by the ladies of Old Miss. Um, what's your quick takeaway from what head coach Corey Henkes and her squad was able to do? This is a really good team. Uh, I I think I've used the word scrappy to define them. And, and a lot of times I think scrappy can kind of be almost a little bit negative because it's like, well, they're, they're not as talented as some of these juggernauts, but they get it done. Well, I, I, I'm going to get rid of the term scrappy. This, this is a legit team. Uh, Julia Johnson uh, is, is more often than, their, than not their number one player, but they, they got it from Kennedy Swan and they got it from Ellen Hume uh, at Eastlake. And with those three playing so well and the contributions that they've gotten from their other players too, Ole Miss is one of those teams that I don't think you can count out if they can get into match play because they're so balanced. They may not have the Ingrid Lindblad or Pauline Racine Bouchard at the top of the lineup, but they're, you know, they're five players that they're going to trot out there um, collectively are just as good as anybody. Yeah. You go back to 2019 when Ole Miss was the eighth seed at the conference championship, the SEC a few years ago, going to the stroke play slash match uh, to mirror the NCAAs, and they made a run, and they won it all. And then you look at what they're continuing to build. They had a chance to make match play at the Blessings. They struggled that last day. I spoke to, to Coach uh, Corey Henkes uh, in Atlanta. I said, what are you trying to do here? How are you trying to go about it? She's like, we have no history. We have no tradition. In her six, seven years there, we're trying to build something that will attract quality players, Julia Johnson had a lot of opportunities and offers. And she said, I want to help you build something, coach. I want to be that foundation, that first rung of blocks and bricks to build upon. Um, and she said, that's all it takes is to get a player of her caliber in Julia to say, all right, I'm all in. And to your point, they now are legitimate. They're the scrappiness, the under the radar, like Pepperdine making a statement on the men's side, I think Old Miss did the same for the women, um, and that can only bode well of trying to continue to build another layer of that foundation. Uh, they're a legit top ten team in the country, and I wouldn't have said that three months ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they certainly have a, a formula that we've seen recently, and um, that that one senior that kind of helps get the program off and running, almost like a Sahef Sagala, and the transfer and Ellen Hume and, and even Kennedy Swan, she's a transfer a couple seasons ago and just about getting those pieces, whether you recruit them or you get them to transfer or they develop right away, or it takes them a while. Like eventually it all comes together if you're doing it right. And it's certainly being done right in uh, Oxford right now. And Ellen Hume, her story is so great. She's really never had a formal lesson. Um, Zach Bird, the assistant, a former roommate of Dustin Johnson, by the way, at Coastal Carolina uh, back in the day. He gave her a putting lesson the day before the practice round. That Sunday, she really doesn't have a sense, as they told me, how good she is. And, and they said she can improve reading the green. She didn't quite understand it. But then, lo and behold, a day later, she goes out effortlessly, uh, you know, and is a co-medalist. It's stories like that that uh, are unique and fun to watch develop. Uh, over the course uh, of a college golf season. Uh, and as we sort of wrap up the fall, again, if you're just tuning in for the first time, where have you been? Glad to have you. But only two of the five power 
five conferences played college golf. So it is a very small sample from the SEC and the Big 12. Uh, everyone else is hoping to get things going in January. But what stood out to you, teams, individuals in the fall that you say, okay, watch out for them come 2021? Should we start with a non-Power 5, UAB, 3-0? Oh, anywhere you want to go. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean, I, we we have to give the Blazers a quick shout out just because no one beat them this fall. They played three events, and while they didn't play the toughest schedule out there compared to some of these Power Five teams who beat up on each other for three events in the fall, three and zero is still pretty tough to do. And I think even before the season coming into this year, UAB was one of those non-Power Fives who consistently was always in that top 30, 40, 50 range, and someone that can make the NCAAs and do a little bit of damage there. Um, so definitely one of the highlights on the men's side of the fall. I think the two teams in Oklahoma probably had the the best performances. Oklahoma State last year was kind of that rebuilding, not as quite as good of a year that we've seen out of the Cowboys in the past decade or so. But um, they go out and win Merido, which is arguably the t- – Toughest event on the toughest golf course um, and, you know, get a little bit of uh, redemption after opening the season with an eighth place finish at Colonial. But Oklahoma, I mean, this is a team that I believe was number one in one of the rankings at the end of last season, or maybe they were number one and Pepperdine overtook them at the end, but they were right in that conversation and they returned everybody. They added Jonathan Brightwell, who we've talked about before, an All-American transfer from uncg they win colonial third at merido they kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start there but really played well the last couple days i believe and then eastlake cup they're the number one seed and you know anything can happen in match play but they get to the final and you know they come up a little bit short but there's nothing to take away from what hibble and and those boys have done this fall and i fully expect oklahoma to uh pick up right where they left off once we get things back you know started back going again in the spring. Yeah, Quade Cummins, Garrett Rebam back for their uh, extra bonus year. Brightwell, you mentioned the transfer. And how about Patrick Welsh to break through, win that individual 18-hole shootout just a couple months after uh, losing his father to a sudden heart attack. I mean, that was an emotional Monday at Eastlake Cup, but hard to argue with what they're bringing to the table in 2021. And then the SEC, from a men's standpoint, I think we saw glimpses of what could be for a lot of teams, but for my uh, my own two cents, I didn't feel like there was, oh, wow, that's the team to focus on, whether it's Georgia or Bama or Vandy or Auburn. Like, I have a lot of question marks on all of them, and that's not a bad thing. I just don't feel like, for, uh, for my value, that anyone sort of established themselves as the team to beat. Yeah, that, that was kind of what I gauged coming into the fall is that when I was kind of sitting down when I thought everyone was going to play and coming up with the preseason rankings and stuff and didn't end up doing them yet. But uh, I, I was like, well, who's the team to beat in the SEC? And initially I thought it was Texas A&M and they've looked pretty good, but you're right, Burko. It's been a little bit of everywhere. And even individually, you know, John Augustine played well at their home event, but you know, Julian Perico from Arkansas won an event. Grayson or uh, uh, Grayson Huff played well for Auburn, but they've kind of not been at full strength. And I, I mean, arguably Vandy's their best performance came without Augustine in the lineup. They played pretty well at the Pate, um, and I, I believe what, what was that a three three team playoff 
Burko at, at, at the paid. I, I think it was. And uh, I so, think yeah, you're right. Yeah. It just shows the depth of, of the SEC and Georgia, obviously, with those three at the top of the lineup, Trent Phillips. Uh, finally looking like Trent Phillips for this last event. So it's going to be really exciting. That's going to be the conference to watch because there's going to be so much parity uh, this spring. You know, uh, things sticking out for me on the women's side, uh, the Baylor Bears, what they did in the Big 12. Wow. I mean, almost <laughs> equally as impressive as like the UAB run in the fall of, oh boy, like we remember them from concession in 2015 and thought maybe that was a, once every 20 year type of thing, but uh, seemingly on paper, they're really, really good. And then from an individual standpoint, you threw out the names. What, uh, what I saw from Ingrid Lidbland uh, from LSU at the Blessings was clinical. And then Pauline Roussin Bouchard, for my money, the best player in college golf that played this fall. We didn't see a lot, but you give me those two players, the rest of the country, and they're talented, They've got work to do. I think those two are a cut above uh, anything else I've seen in, in a long time. They're, yeah, they're, they're, they're almost – they're sophomores. They're sophomores. They're kids. They're almost like Trevor Lawrence and Kyle Trask kind of getting the head start in the Heisman race. It's going to be hard uh, for Emilio Miliaccio or a player coming out in the spring who, hasn't, who didn't play in the fall to, to catch them if they keep playing like they've played. Gerling Carr, you – mentioned Baylor. She, she won twice individually. Uh, Elodie Chapelet also had a, a good fall as well. So that's a one-two punch for Baylor that um, can compete with, with anyone. And I think it was almost a foregone conclusion that Texas was going to win another Big 12 title. I believe it would be their fourth in a row. But Baylor, you know, they, they come out and look like almost the team to beat going in the, uh, into the spring. And I think you almost have to show them that because they beat Texas twice. Um, in those three events. So got to uh, give Jay Goble credit in the job that he's done there. I'm going to throw out one more team that played this fall that I'm pretty high on, and we didn't see them at full strength a lot, and that's Auburn. Um, uh, Julian McCarthy played one event, top 10 in that first event, but she wasn't in, in the lineup for the last two. They go and win the Liz Murphy to close the fall. They didn't have their super sophomore Megan Schofel for that first event. She plays the last two, plays really well. This is another deep team that, Reminds me a lot of Ole Miss in that they don't have the clear number one, although some would argue maybe Schofel or, or Kaylee Telfer could be that number one at any given time. But it's a very balanced team, and obviously Auburn has something that Ole Miss doesn't have, and that's the experience playing deep into match play at NCAAs recently. So this is a team that is only getting better and had a slow start last season and started coming on right before the season was canceled. They get off to a pretty decently fast start, I think, all things considered, uh, this fall. And I think they're only going to get better. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Texas on the women's side. That program, along with others, they have international players that are back in Europe that couldn't get here, that decided not to come because of the uncertainty. So I think that is a big question mark on both sides, men's and women's teams of, what will those squads and rosters actually look like? Uh, and I'm still bullish on South Carolina women. I, I think there's something there that as this season goes on, um, they'll be right in the mix uh, come next May at, at Greyhawk in the NCAAs. And 
at least we got college golf this fall. I'll take it uh, and hope that it continues in the right direction in 2021. But in recent days, you almost forget as recruiting became a, a different approach and, and animal for these coaches across the country to connect with these players. But I know you've got a little uh, wrap up some tidbits of some notable signings that have happened uh, here in the month of November. Yeah, it, it was a little bit different of an early signing period. Uh, normally, we just get an influx of all these celebrations and photos with balloons and hats and all this stuff this week, uh, even though it's not quite like football and that we know where these guys are still going um, far, far uh, in advance. So it's just almost like putting pendant to the paper and making things official when the coaches can finally, finally talk about these players that have been committed for like, you know, two or three years. But um, I, I will say I, I did see quite a few photos. Um, you know, I, I, it didn't seem that far different than what we're normally used to. So I will give, you know, all the players credit for trying to make the most out of a pretty tough situation. Um, but starting on the men's side, the, there's, there's two classes that really stand out. I'm going to start with one of them. One of them is Arizona State. They go and get Preston Summerhays, the U.S. junior champ, um, the son of Boyd Summerhays, who's obviously an instructor on the PGA Tour, works with Tony Finau and Wyndham Clark. Um, he recently won the Sunihana this this summer, which for a high schooler to go and beat a bunch of top amateurs, uh, that's pretty impressive. But they also have Jose Luis Ballester. He's from Spain, ranked 28th in the world. He may be better than Preston Summerhays right now, um, and that's saying something. So with both of those players in the same class for Matt Thurman, uh, Arizona State's going to be pretty good again next fall, even when they lose Kevin Yu and um, you know a couple other seniors they, they have on that team. The second class is, is Vanderbilt. It's been a while since I think we've talked about Vanderbilt really bringing in one of the top classes. I think you have to go back to – I mean, maybe even before they they got Will Gordon and, and Patrick Martin, I think that was both of those players were highly recruited or highly ranked, but they probably exceeded what a lot of people thought they would once they got into college and played four years. But this this class has a chance to produce like those two guys did uh, with Gordon Sargent and Jackson Van Paris. Um, they're just outside the top 200 in Wagger, but very highly ranked on the AJGA rankings. And so those are two classes I like. Um, some good internationals that are coming in. Tiger Christensen signed with Oklahoma State. Um, Benjamin Reuter with Georgia Tech. Uh, even someone like Florida Gulf Coast getting one of the top Italians. I think he's the second ranked Italian uh, in this class, uh, Lucas Falacito. Um, I'd like for him to do pretty good things. And, you know, I mean, just. Also down the line, Cohen Trollio, remember him from Pinehurst, the U.S. Amateur, signs with LSU. Um, Brendan Valdez going to Auburn, Kelly Chin going to Duke. So um, a, a pretty good class. And I think that um, probably one of the better classes we've we've seen, at least, you know, t if you're talking about the top 25 or so in the past few years. You know, and something intriguing and interesting to go down the rabbit hole with the current college golf season we are in and we kept, you know, we keep referencing the bonus years, the extra opportunity for guys like Quade Cummins or Garrett Reban or others, John Augustine to come back 
and not have scholarships impacted. This was a freebie from the standpoint of schools decided to offer, offer a scholarship. It wouldn't impact the four and a half on the men or the six on the women's side. But moving forward, if players want that bonus year, these are this is where coaches have to be creative. Because moving ahead to this signing class for the 21-22 season, you're back to four and a half and six. So there are going to be some very difficult decisions that you might not realize until a year from now. But it sort of starts in November of 2020 with these signings. Because coaches will have to put together a nice juggling act or you might see a year from now some fixtures on rosters that just aren't there anymore because they're going to bet on these newcomers and youngsters maybe being better. Yeah, I I think it's going to trickle down and that the transfer portal is going to heat up even more than we saw this year. And players are, you know, going to find themselves at one school and they're going to have to take a couple steps down and go somewhere else. And, you know, it could be a good thing because chances are those players aren't going to, you know, play in the PGA tour and they'll get to play more in college and kind of in, uh, enjoy that and I think it could help the lower divisions as well because you might have a, a kid at a D1 school that's you know not getting pushed out but you know figuratively getting pushed out and he goes and maybe plays D2 and um, you know has a great year and you know maybe wins some awards or something and gets confidence and maybe that helps his game so yeah I mean it's, it's going to be interesting Burka with the scholarships and stuff I'm I'm definitely not envious of coaches trying to figure that out um, but Moving to the women's side for signing day, I'll be real quick on this. Uh, it's hard not to say that Roseng is is the number one player in this class for Stanford, the U.S. women's amateur champ. Seems like she's won everything. It almost seems like she's probably the best recruit coming into college in a while. I mean, we've been hearing about Roseng for four or five years, um, and she's finally signing. Um, and I always like to draw you know, comparisons between classes for schools and classes that they may have had in the past. And this class for Stanford reminds me a lot of when they brought in Andrea Lee and Alvin Valenzuela. And that Andrea Lee obviously came into school as a USGA champ. She'd won the the U.S. Girls Junior, I believe, two times. So she's kind of that parallel to Rosang. And then Alvin Valenzuela being from from Switzerland, well, they're bringing in another Swiss golfer in Caroline Sturza. <laughs> She's just outside the top 200 in the wagger. So Stanford's got a good class. UCLA is bringing in Zoe Campos. USC's got a couple um, studs that they're bringing in. And, uh, you know, that's that's probably that, – that, those are probably the top three classes there. Wake Forest is bringing in Carolina Lopez-Shikara, who, if that last name sounds familiar, that's because she's the sister of Eugenio Shikara, who did play at Wake. Now he transferred to Oklahoma State. So that's another name to look out for. And um, if you think this class on the women's side is is good, wait till next year when you got Mega Ghani and Grace Summerhays and Amari Avery and also Alexa Pano and Paris Holinsky. But um, I think the consensus is that we might see both of those, if not at least one, you know, forgo college and just turn pro. The rich get richer on the women's side in college golf. Uh, a couple minutes as we wrap things up here in 2020. Let's look ahead to the spring. Maybe not necessarily predictions, but like what are we expecting uh, from the other three Power Five conferences as of now, planning on playing? Uh, we see 
college sports somehow navigating their way through uh, the global pandemic as numbers begin to rise. I mean, what do you think we're going to see a few months from now heading into May? Yeah, I mean, I've talked to a few coaches and I wouldn't say there's 100% confidence in that we'll get everyone playing in the spring. It's just, it's kind of the world that we live in right now. And um, I will say, I, I do think worst case is we see something similar to what we saw this fall and about the same number of teams playing, maybe a few more, maybe a few less, depending on certain things. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I as of now, I, I'm going to treat it just like, you know, the teams that didn't play in the fall are going to join us in the spring and we're going to start a little early in January and get in as much golf as we can and hopefully be safe about it. And uh, hopefully the outlook improves um, and it'll be, you know, hopefully uh, as close to normal NCAA championship and postseason, uh, you know, as, as possible. That's give me a, that's my yeah. Yeah, give me a team, men or women's side, that we didn't see this fall that you're maybe most looking forward to seeing. Hmm. Arizona I, State men jump out for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. There is a quality team, uh, and it applies to them and everyone else. I mean, you're, you're going to be looking at nearly 10 months of not playing competitive college golf together as a team. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but that's a long time. Yeah, I, I think Arizona State, they're obviously the, the obvious national title contender that's expected to join the, you know, join the fray this spring. You know, they, they're so deep that they could have one or two guys maybe have a little rust to shake off at the start and still be pretty good. So they're, they're the obvious choice, but I'm going to maybe throw out a maybe not so obvious choice, and that's Florida State. Uh, this is a team that Hasn't been in the conversation come late in the spring for a while, but they have arguably one of the best players in college golf and John Pack. Um, they, they added a, a transfer from D2 and Vincent Norman, who's going to be a very, very good player for them, I think. Uh, Jamie Lee's solid. Um, Brett Roberts is a freshman that's coming in who I think is going to have a pretty good impact. So that's four players right there. And a lot of time in college golf, that's that's all you need. If, if you got four players clicking um, and a solid five guy, it, you, you can do some pretty good things. So Florida State's a team I'm keeping an eye on to maybe surprise some people. And then on the women's side, I'm still going with, with, with South Carolina as my favorite, but obviously we're going to have UC, or, uh, USC, UCLA, Wake Forest all joining the mix. And UCLA is a team that I think could take a big step up. They're very young. They were, they had a ton of freshmen led by Emma Spitz last season and still did some pretty good, uh, pretty special things. So UCLA is a team who I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them win a national title. You talk about FSU, John Pack, number one in the PGA Tour University rankings from the get-go. Remember, at the end of May, early June, once the NCAs are done, there's Corn Ferry Tour membership up for grabs. And and potentially the international tour uh, tours as well under the PGA tour umbrella. So we will monitor that. Um, but I sort of think with that, the perfect way to end 2020 on our podcast, college golf talk. Uh, it's a lot of fun as always, my friend, uh, happy holidays, stay safe, stay healthy. And we'll pick it up uh, again in early uh, next year. And 
hopefully we'll have a lot more to talk about as the run to Greyhawk will uh, will be a little bit closer. Yeah, you too, Burko. Happy holidays. Thanks, my friend. All the best. We appreciate you guys for listening to College Golf Talk. Happy holidays to each and every one of you guys out there. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you in 2021.